All right. Hi, guys. I'm Marie. And I'm Maddie. And we're here recording Lost in the Woods. Yep. Yep. Maddie just got off work. She's Don't like, even look at my hair. She's Don't looking a little greasy. Don't. <laughs> it's fine. I don't want to talk about it. Uh, it's fine. She brought me a lotus, so all is well in the world. Because mm-hmm. we're recording in the afternoon because of her schedule, which I hate doing because I feel like she's more distracted in the afternoon. But yeah, so we got a kitten. She's really cute. Her name's Uh, Delilah Blue. Her name is Delilah Blue. It was just blue, but then she really likes the song, Hey There, Delilah. Like, she'll fall asleep to it every single time it's on. Yeah, so now Phoenix insists that she be called Delilah Blue. Not Blue for short, not Delilah, but Delilah Blue. I call her Blue. Which Phoenix does not like. (laughs) I call her Blue and then Delilah when she's eating my phone charger. When she's being naughty. Although, Delilah was one of the names that I considered for Phoenix when I was pregnant. And I, f- I considered it for Cordelia, too. It was on my list for both. Hmm. But yeah, we'll post some pictures of the cat. She's pretty cute. Pretty cute. It's she- our first pet in 10 years. So this is a big deal. Except for the cat I had for like five months. A couple years ago, Maddie did sneak a cat in. But other than that, we've had zero pets in our house for 10 years. So this is a really big step. This it's one- almost like we're a normal family now. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Hope everybody's doing good today. Yes. We had a crazy, like, wind brainstorm last night. I had to go around so many branches leaving this morning. Did you? Yeah. Like, I... not big ones, but just things I don't want to run over with my car. Okay, so today we have another listener recommendation. And this one comes from Anna and Miss Kitty, which... An Instagram handle. Instagram, guys. And then Nicole King from Facebook. So... Thanks, guys. And I also feel like we've had more people suggest or recommend this yeah, case. Yeah, uh, we didn't start writing them down. Yeah, I actually started tracking our listener recommendations because I really wanted to be able to be like, hey. Yeah, call thanks, people out Yeah, thanks, that. guys, because we do appreciate it. If you did, if you did recommend sorry. this one, we didn't say your name. Sorry. Our bad. Don't yell at us. Okay. Okay. But today is, it's a two-parter. Two-parter. So today we're going to be going to Australia, and we're going to be talking about a serial killer that is responsible for the backpacker murders. So he operated in New South Wales between 1989 and 1993, and he operated along the Hume Highway, which is one of the busiest in Australia, and it runs between Sydney and Melbourne. And he dumped all of the bodies in the Belangelo Forest, which I hate the word dumped. Left. Disposed. Disposed. I don't like that either. So the Belangelo State Forest is in New South Wales. It's about 3,800 acres, which is... Hectares? The fuck is a hectare? (laughs) That's what they call it. So a hectare... So 3,800 hectares would be about 9,300 acres. Hectares is like a larger portion than an acre, basically. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. No way. I would not never have guessed that since 3,000 hectares is 9,000. Shut up. <laughs> I'll keep hitting you stop. until you stop. I'm trying to continue reading. Abuse. Okay. I need you to stop being condescending towards me immediately. <laughs> this is abuse. The next one's going to be abusive. Marie seems like she's abusive towards Maddie. Maddie, if you, need help, if, if you need help, if you need help, blink twice. <laughs> they can't see you. 
Cough twice. <laughs> okay. Anyway. I'm just going to cough twice at the end. Of act the right. Okay, go. Okay. It's about three kilometers, so less than two miles, away from the Hume Highway. And it's in between Sydney and Canberra. So it is owned by the Australian government and is free to the public. Which, I don't, are state parks you have to pay to get into or you have to have some sort of yearly pass or permit for them? But everything I read said it was free to the public. So I'm just guessing that Australia doesn't have that fee system, maybe? So it has two and four wheel drive tracks, creek crossings, forest camping. It's really popular for hikers and bike riders. It has koalas, wombats, and kangaroos. I want to go. Koalas scare me. What? Kangaroos scare me. <laughs> you ever seen angry koala? Kangaroos? Have you, have you seen what kangaroos can do? Yes, both of them are pretty scary. I mean, when they're like nice and, you know, sweet, they're cute. They're adorable. But angry of either animal is absolutely terrifying. Also, have you heard the noise a koala makes? No. Scary. Nightmare fuel. Wombats? What? I don't remember what a wombat is. I have to look it up real fast. It's irrelevant. Oh, wombats are adorable. Look at that thing. Oh my gosh, that's so cute. It kind of looks like our marmots. It looks like a marmot. It looks like a fat, chubby little... It looks like a really fat marmot. How <sighs> big is it? Um, decently so. I imagine it being small, but it looks gigantic. No, it's not small. <laughs> Holy crap. That thing is not little. That is like a little bear. Oh my god. Okay, so the original pictures of the wombat... Apparently, we've never seen a wombat, you guys. The original pictures that I saw, they look so tiny, like, like a little... They look so, like... Like a little critter or something, and then you see somebody holding it, and it's like, oh my god, never mind. So they look <laughs> like the size of, like, a big dog a to a small bear. Yeah. Looks like a, the size of, like, a baby bear to me. Oh my gosh. It's cute, though. I mean, it's, it's cute. It's cute. It I don't is. know. It's cute. It looks scary when someone holds it, because it's so big. It looks terrifying when somebody holds it. But it's still cute. It is cute. Okay. On December 28, 1989, Deborah Everest, who's 19, and James Gibson, who's also 19, were driven to the train station by James' mom. The couple had decided to go on a trip since they were both on a break from school. They were from Frankston. So James's mom was actually concerned about the couple hitchhiking, but he assured her that it was safe, especially since he wouldn't be alone. What year is this case in? It spans from 1989 to 1993. So that is prime hitchhiking. I mean, it's a little past prime. I don't know about Australia, though. Well, so that's the thing. So here, hitchhiking during that time was pretty dangerous. But from everything I've read, Australia was much more friendly to hitchhikers. Mm -hmm. They made it to Sydney without incident. Their plan was to meet up with a group of friends, and they were all going to head to Comfest. What is Comfest? Explain that. So from what I can gather from it, it's an alternative lifestyle festival. So originally when I read Comfest, I was thinking like our Comic-Con, which is like the comic book people dress up festival, or like um, the music festivals that we have. But it's more of an alternative lifestyle festival. So it has workshops, play shops, whatever that is, and it also has singing and dancing. So I'm going to need somebody to message us maybe a video or some pictures of this or just explain. So somebody let us know because we're curious about that one. So upon their arrival in Sydney, they discovered that the group had already left on the 29th without them. 
This meant that they had to backtrack back towards home in order to get there. Deborah had called her mom telling her that everything was fine and not to worry. They were last seen leaving Sorry Hills on December 30th, 1989. They headed out to hitch their way back to Comfest, and this was around 10 a.m. On January 15th, 1990, both mothers went to the police station to report their children missing when they failed to check in over the last two weeks. Which to me sounds like it wasn't normal because she called her mom to tell her that what was going on. I think that was one of the conditions that they made with their parents is that they would call and check in on a regular basis. Yeah. So on March 13th, 1990, a woman was driving along Golston Gorge Road when she saw a red backpack with blue trim on the side of the road. It had a black pen, a tin of sardines, and pine needles. Which there are not pine needles in this area of Australia from what I could tell. There was a name, address, and phone number on the bottom of the backpack. And it simply said Gibson. When she called the number, James's mom answered the phone. Yeah, and she informed Wendy that it belonged to her son and that him and his girlfriend had been missing. So she took it to the police. Yeah. So James's camera and other belongings, along with Deborah's bag and belongings, were still missing. When reports of the story and the backpack had come out, a cyclist who had ridden on the same road the day after the couple went missing, he had found a camera on the side of the road, and then he handed that over to the police. Also, the bag and the camera were nowhere near the couple's intended route, and it was about an hour and a half in the wrong direction. Okay, so now we're going to fast forward to September 29, 1990. And this is about Simone Schmidl, who was known as Simi to her friends, and she was 21 years old. She's from Germany. She had been on many backpacking trips over her life. She had traveled a lot. So when she left for Australia, she was wearing a blue backpack with a lilac pattern on it and had a green and purple sleeping bag as well. She also carried a cooking set and a day pack, and her tent was a Hogan model tent. She met another backpacker named Janet on the plane ride over and they decided to travel together for a bit since neither of them had solid plans on where they were going to be going. Which once again kind of sounds outrageous when you're like, oh my god, wait, they met on a plane and then hiked together? Not that crazy. But then you got to think about like the backpack. Like I could see us kind of doing that if we met someone and talked to them on a plane ride. Oh, for sure. Yeah. The women hitchhiked along the Hume Highway and were comfortable and confident hitchhikers. So they did this for a bit while they were traveling along. That's how they got around was hitchhiking. They ended up flying to New Zealand together and then came back to Australia after that. On January 19, Simone announced that she had planned to hitchhike to Melbourne on her own to go meet up with her mom. So she's basically saying, okay, I'm going off on my own now. Mm -hmm. I have plans. On January 20, 1991, she was last seen leaving Sydney for Melbourne. She was wearing a bright yellow shirt, green shorts, and hiking boots. She was carrying a sign with her destination written on it. Her friends from Sydney actually tried to convince her to take the bus instead and even offered to buy her a bus ticket. But she wasn't worried about it. She felt like hitchhiking was safe. And she even showed her friends in her travel guide that said as much, where it actually said that hitchhiking was relatively safe in Australia. So on Wednesday, January 23rd, her mother arrived in Melbourne to meet up with Simone. 
She did not meet her at the airport like planned. When her mother called her friend in Sydney, they were already worried because she promised to call when she arrived in Melbourne. And she hadn't. Five days after she had last been seen, her mom reported her missing. Yeah, you guys, she actually stayed in Australia for six weeks, searching and hoping that her daughter would turn up. So we're moving on to December 20, 1991. And it's Gabor Nugabar, who's 21, and Anya Habshid, who's 20. I really hope I pronounced those right. I'm sorry if I didn't. Probably not. (laughs) Thanks for your vote of confidence. So they were two German backpackers. The couple shared a passion for backpacking and were known as very easygoing. They kind of got along with everyone. The couple had actually headed to Indonesia for a backpacking trip when the weather changed unexpectedly and they made a spur-of-the-moment decision to head to Australia instead. One thing about this couple, they were very recognizable. Gabor was over six feet tall and he towered over Anya who was smaller and more petite. People did recognize them. They were staying in a hostel in King's Cross. It's like an area of Australia that's kind of known to be a little more worn, but it's really popular with backpackers because it's cheap. Yep. Gabor actually called his mom from the hostel around 4 a.m. on Christmas morning. He told her that they wanted to leave and go back to Asia. They had already booked their flight and they were last seen leaving King's Cross Hostel for Darwin. By January 30, 1992, their families reported them missing. So no one had heard from them, and they hadn't touched their traveler's checks since using them at King's Cross Hostel. The families even hired a private investigator that came up with nothing. Desperate, they actually went to see a clairvoyant who told the family that their children were no longer alive and that Gabor had died quickly, but Anya had suffered greatly. Mm. And the couple's checks that they had were never used. So whatever happened to them, they weren't robbed or their money wasn't taken and used. Next, we're going to April of 1992. Caroline Clark, who was 21, and Joanne Walters, who was 22. So they were two German hitchhikers traveling through Australia. Caroline had always dreamed of traveling to Australia. She decided to stay in Australia for a bit and she took a nanny job in town. I could see you doing that. I would do it. Watch some Australian children. Yeah, absolutely. She met another backpacker out there named Joanne. They became fast friends. Joanne had been in Australia for four months already, and she had also been a nanny, but heard that fruit picking had more money in it. So the two women had met and decided to go fruit picking together, and the plan was to hitchhike in order to save money. They met another backpacker named Steve Wright. The three of them went to Tasmania to do apple picking, which Tasmania is that little island. I know, we have listeners in Tasmania. Yay! Alright, so because of the cold nights there, Joanne actually purchased a new blue and orange Ultima brand sleeping bag. So the sleeping bag she had just wasn't warm enough for that area. Steve went his own way from Tasmania, but since he was not planning on doing much more backpacking, he decided to trade the girls his three-person tent for their two-person tent as they would have more room. Because it had been kind of small for them to be, even though it was a two-person... Which I feel like trading things, definitely not weird. Not weird at all. No, not weird at all. And they were so grateful that they didn't even care about the hole in the tent that Steve had patched up. Why would you? Once you've been backpacking for days or weeks, you really stop caring about little things like that. Yeah, well, I was shoving all my shit into my bag. I wasn't even folding anything at that point. I I don't do that. Maddie will literally just like shove everything in there. And then if you saw... I don't know if I, I'm, I probably, I probably posted that on my story, but 
when we went backpacking last time, she had to stop like two miles in and repack her entire backpack because the top of it was too heavy because she had literally just shoved. She was yelling at me to go. So I just started shoving things in my backpack. Side note, I packed for this trip two days before we left for it. And the morning of, she is literally shoving all of her shit into her bag. Yeah. And I forgot my sleeping bag. And my pillow. (laughs) And my mat. Actually, I didn't forget my sleeping bag. You forgot forgot your mat. mat And I forgot my pillow. So we're like, we set up the tent and we've got the sleeping bags out and we're like ready to go. And then she's like, um... Yeah, I didn't bring any of that. <laughs> okay. She she ended up putting our little seat covers underneath her sleeping bag, like work. our seat pads. It didn't work, but yeah. Okay, so let's get back to the case. That's our piece on that. Okay, and here we go. They went back to King's Cross, and on April 16, 1992, both girls called home to tell their families what their plan was. They had decided to head out to do more fruit picking, and they were going to head to Western Australia for the melon picking season. On April 18, 1992, they were seen leaving King's Cross, but the family became concerned when they didn't hear from the girls after a couple of weeks. Joanne hadn't accessed her bank account since April 15th, and it had been six weeks since anyone had heard from the girls. The families decided to report them missing. They actually had flyers with their pictures made and asked hikers to spread them from hostel to hostel. So they basically took big stacks of these flyers to hostels and they asked backpackers to take a big stack and take it to the next hostel and then have somebody take part of that stack to the next hostel. So they were trying to get them spread out as far as they Mm -hmm. could. Sounds like a pretty effective way to get their picture out to people, really. Mm -hmm. So hundreds of witnesses came forward But there were two other women following a similar path that the girls had planned on taking, and this created a lot of false leads. Mm, That is unfortunate. That is unfortunate. So now we're going to move on to the investigation. Yes, the investigation. So on October 14th, 1993, Task Force Air was set up by the NSW police. Which is New South Wales. It contained more than 20 detectives and analysts. Speculation rose that these cases were the work of a serial killer. This task force, their first order of business was to find these missing hikers. From 1990 to 1992, up until this point, what, six people have gone missing now? Backpackers? In the same area. In the same, yeah, from the Hume Mm -hmm. Highway. They took tips, they followed up leads, they started conducting searches. One of the places that they visited was called the Pistol Club, and they had heard from one of the members there about an incident that he remembered from April 26, 1992. So, that would be when Carolyn and Joanne went missing. missing. Okay. On April 26, 1992, he said he had passed two cars that were entering an access road into Belangelo State Forest. The cars contained multiple male passengers and at least one female in the back seat of each car. He said the women were gagged and looked frightened, but he didn't report it at the time. Police were very skeptical of his account. I think mm-hmm. because that sounds crazy. If you see two women gagged and tied up in the back of vehicles, why would you not report that? I'm always skeptical about witnesses and different things that come forward later Later. in time. Yep. So now we're going to talk about the discovery of the body. We knew this was a murder case, right? This is not a surprise. Well, we're talking about serial killers, so I, I would assume. Right. But so far we haven't had to go over any of that, so here we go. 
And along the way, we will try to make it as least confusing as possible. Yeah, so hang in there. It's going to be a little confusing, but we're going to try to pipe in with... Trying to keep it as clear as possible and everything. It's going to get a little confusing and a little uncomfy. Yeah, and I did the research for this and I'm still a little confused sometimes. On September 19, 1992, the Scrub Runner Club was orienting in Belangola Forest. Why orienting? Why that why why that word? That's what it's called. So basically orienting is a sport and I had never heard of this. I had to look it up, but it's a sport. It requires navigational skills using a map and a compass to navigate from point to point in a diverse or unfamiliar terrain whilst moving at speed. They actually do this where they take maps and compasses and they have to basically route find through unfamiliar territory and they're doing it at a fast speed. I don't know if you're timed. I don't know if there's a finish line, but I'm intrigued. Hmm. Maddie's not. They were in the Belanglo Forest, right? They're at a place called Executioner's Drop, which I kind of don't like that. I definitely don't like that. Right? And I want to know the origin of how it became Executioner Point. Right. Or drop, not drop. point. Drop is even worse. I know. There were two members there. Both were named Keith, by the way. So apparently men named Keith like to do orienting. I don't know. Oh, maybe I should introduce it to my dad. So, <laughs> whose name is Keith? So, sounds like something middle-aged men would do. <laughs> Doesn't sound like something your dad would do. No, There's no, too much not work involved. <laughs> he doesn't, doesn't do that type of thing. Nobody narc us out for talking about him. Okay, they discover a concealed body, and they actually thought it was a kangaroo, and only upon further inspection did they realize that it was a human. Okay, kangaroo makes more sense. I think it's funny, or not funny, I think it's very strange when people are like, oh, I thought it was a mannequin. How often are you seeing a mannequin in the middle of the woods? Right, and they actually thought it was a kangaroo. So maybe Australians are just smarter than we are, because I feel like here everybody's like, and I thought it was a mannequin, but... Well, why is there... When... How often do you come across mannequins? Like, okay, why is that a thought? But you don't. But when you see the shape of a body anywhere, right? On the ground, in the forest, on the side of the road, whatever, you just assume that your your mind translates it into something familiar that's not a dead body, like a mannequin. Yeah, yes. Okay, so she was laying face down and was gagged with strips torn from a shirt or some sort of material like that. The next morning, 30 meters away, or 98 feet, clothing there strongly suggested that at least one of the bodies belonged to Joanne Walters, making it likely that the other body belonged to Carolyn Clark. And which girls were those? They were the two German backpackers, who were doing the fruit picking? They were doing the fruit picking. They had also done the nannying, right? Yes, that's them. Yep. And they had gone missing in April of 1992. And now we're in September of 1992. So they were discovered relatively quickly. Yes. Dental records did confirm this. Lack of defensive wounds suggested that they had been bound during their attack. They had multiple bullet wounds and stab wounds. There was also a grot lock device used for strangulation that was found on the ground nearby. I do not like that. So, I don't know what a grot is, but I don't want to know what it is. It's like one of those, it's like a strangulation. Oh, like the, like yeah. the mobster things? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yep, that's exactly what it's like. So we're going to go ahead and add grots to our list of no thank you. 
Yes. Murder weapons. Along with hatchets, axes, hammers, and any variation of those two things. Yes. All on the no list. Like hatchets, sledgehammers. Yeah. So we're adding to the list. Grats. No, thank you. So Joanne had more than 14 stab wounds, including one to her spine that would have paralyzed her. And this is weird. Her jeans were actually unzipped, but the top button was fastened. Carolyn had been shot more than 10 times in the head and had a stab wound in her back. It was thought that maybe she had been used for target practice. No. No. No, 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 no. So there was a pile of cigarette butts near, which suggests that a lot of time had been spent there. And remnants of a makeshift fire were also found nearby. So another thing they found was spent 22 caliber casings. So the bodies seem to be posed. Right, and we've seen that in other cases where they don't really specify, and we will get into that a little bit later, but they don't always specify what that means. But basically, the body's not in a natural position that it would have fallen in. So basically, this is something that has nothing to do with the actual killing of the person, but is done after the fact. If they just drug the body to a location or the body was where it was killed, it would look differently than how these bodies were found. Okay, that makes sense. I get it. So this area was not near a main road. It could only be accessed by foot or an all-terrain vehicle. So they brought in a forensic psychiatrist named Dr. Rod Melton. He concluded the killer was in his mid-30s, had a history of aggression, and was familiar with the area, and was motivated by the pleasure of inflicting pain. Cool. He also did not believe it was the work of a serial killer. They even looked at suspicious disappearances over the previous decade, and found no connections. Okay, so in October of 1993, a local man named Bruce was driving around searching for firewood in a remote area. He discovered several bones, including a human skull. He led police to the discovery, and they found decaying woman's clothing and a crucifix near the bones. Cloth was thought to be used as a gag, and electrical tape thought to be used as a restraint were also found. Electrical tape also scares me. You can't break that stuff. So two hours later, 22 meters, so about 71 feet west, they found a pair of man's sandals. Okay, how many times have we found freaking shoes while hiking? This is why it freaks us out. So underneath the sandals, hidden by debris, was another body. 400 meters away was a tree trunk with nine bullets from a 22 caliber. There was also a makeshift fire nearby. Sounds familiar. Yep, this is starting to getting deja vu here uh-huh. so they were identified as australian nationals deborah everest and james gibson which were the it was the two australians that went missing in 1989 they were the ones going to Comfest. okay deborah had a broken jaw fractured skull and had stab wounds to her head and her back i'm sorry head stab wounds i cannot handle that And this I don't like. James had been in the fetal position and he had been stabbed seven times. Neither one, though, had defensive wounds. And James' zipper was down, but his jeans were buttoned, just like Joanna's in the last one. But James this time? Yep. Okay. Right? Isn't that so strange? I'm just trying to... 
there was also similar spinal damage. So I don't know if it's by accident that this killer is stabbing in the back. That's more than likely paralyzing them. Is it an accident or are they intentionally doing that? We don't know. Finding James' body here, though, had surprised authorities because, remember, his camera and his backpack had previously been discovered at Gulston Gorge, which was over 122 kilometers or 75 miles north of where they were found. Okay. There was also a similar small fireplace built near the bodies. They believe the couple had actually been killed the day they went missing and the killer went through great lengths to throw out James's backpack and camera. Because remember, the camera was found the day after the couple went missing. So they think that the couple died the day that they disappeared, or shortly thereafter. Okay, so on November 1st, 1993, police were searching along fire trail? Mm-hmm. What's a fire trail? So a fire trail is a rural road built specifically for the purpose of access for fire management purposes, like building containment lines and backburning operations. If we have that, we don't call it that. Yeah. But it does come up multiple times. So this is something that they have through the Belanglo Forest. So when they were going along this fire trail, they were looking for bodies and evidence. So this fire trail was called Miners Disappear. Why? Why is it? I don't. It's real dark. I don't know. Their names are real dark. Why I don't have we understand. had multiple really dark named places? Why is know. it named that? Let us know, guys. Does it mean miners as in like young people or miners as no, in like, like coal miners? I would guess like coal, like some sort of <laughs> miners as in young people. Jesus, you took it way darker <laughs> than I did. No, I was thinking miners like coal miners or people who are mining the forest for something. Gotcha. Okay. So a skeleton was found, and this body was identified as Simone. She was the German woman who went missing in January of 1991 while hitchhiking. She was the one that was going to meet her mom in Sydney. Right. Yes. So she had been stabbed multiple times, including a spinal cord injury. Yeah, they also found soft wire tied in the shape of a noose nearby. They also found a makeshift fireplace and 22 caliber shells i don't know if you guys have connected this yet it's sounding real familiar there was clothing at the scene that did not match anything she had been wearing but it did match clothing that anya habsheed had been wearing so remember anya and gabor was the other couple that went missing so they focused on other fire trails in the area mainly long acre and tree cave those are better names those are much better names Then, on November 4, 1993, near the Tree Cave Fire Trail, about one kilometer east of where Simone was found, a woman's sandal with a broken strap was found. A little further away, a human skeleton was found. Why is her strap broken? She was running. That's what I was thinking. I was afraid of that. 50 meters away, under a pile of logs, another body was found. They found a plane ticket, a shoe, watch, and jewelry, a bra with multiple stab wounds, black leggings, and pink jeans. Inside the jeans, wrapped in underwear, was also found a piece of a pink bandana that was tied, maybe like a gag. Homemade restraints were also found. Dental records did confirm that it was the bodies of Gabor and Anya. So Gabor and Anya, they were the ones that changed their travel plans, right? They went to Asia, bad weather happened, 
they decided to go to Australia, and then they were headed back to Asia. And they went missing just after Christmas of 1991. Yep. So we're looking at two, almost two years exactly later that they're found. They were buried in shallow graves, and they were found about 50 meters or 160 feet apart. Anya had been stabbed multiple times in the torso and had been decapitated with a sword or a machete. And that's why those are both on the list. Machete for sure. Her skull has never been found. And that reminds me of the Meredith Emerson case. Do you remember that one? It was the Appalachian Trail one where she was killed by Gary. Oh, yeah. And her skull was never found. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. Gabor had been shot six times. His hyoid bone was broken. Um, where is that? What is that? So that's the bone in your neck. It's usually broken during strangulation. His zipper was also down with his top button fastened. Okay, so this is two guys and one girl that have had that. Yep. I do not understand why. The bullets recovered matched the other crime scenes. He had also been gagged by a piece of material they thought might have been torn from a child's dress. How do you know it's a child? Maybe because of the pattern on it? I'm not sure. Okay. And a reef knot had been used to tie his gag. And that becomes important later. This was important because it was different than the other knots they had found. Now we're going to kind of talk about the investigation a little bit and what, now that they have all this information because they've now found the bodies we have more to work with kind of Mm -hmm. in terms of trying to find this killer all of the victims had been covered lightly with forest debris and brush all were found within 200 meters of a fire trail all were face down with the exception of james who was curled on his side in the fetal position i wonder why he wasn't moved i wonder if there was something about that killing or that interaction that got to the killer. So an examination of the remains showed that all of the victims had been tortured or and did not die right away. Don't like that. So, I mean, there's just something horrifying about knowing that you're going to die, but you don't die right away. Like, I cannot even, um, nope, nope, I don't, I don't want to talk about it. Okay. So it was evident by the positioning of some of the clothing that some had been sexually assaulted in some way, shape, or form. They don't really specify this. I know we have a lot of the buttons buttoned and the zipper is down. It's also strange that we have a male and, like, male and female Mm -hmm. that show signs of sexual assault. Yeah. I think that there's actually more to it than just that because it actually says that there is evidence of sexual assault. And I feel like they wouldn't say that exactly if there wasn't more than just zippers down. Yeah. They also believe that some of the victims, like we said before, had been used for target practice. And this was based on multiple bullet wounds. And also one of the victims looked like they had been shot at and then repositioned and shot at again. So that's kind of where that comes in. The later victims also showed a larger crime scene. So it appeared that more time had been spent at the crime scenes, more time had been spent with the victims. And then remember, there was the makeshift fires that implied the killer spent an extended time 
at those scenes as well. So um, he's evolving. Well, evolving in a very strange way, right? I mean, we've got blunt force trauma. Um, we've got frenzied stabbing. We've got decapitation. Like an extensive amount of like bullets fired into people as well. Yeah, so it's almost like this killer can't figure out what their M.O. is. They're just playing around. Did he work alone? That is a good question. We're actually going to go over that theory. Already okay. solved the crime. <laughs> Maddie, Call me a detective. Maddie solved it. Uh, so, on the scene, so we've got blunt force trauma and frenzied stabbing for James, Deborah, and Simone, the first three victims. And then we have violent stabbing and shots and decapitation would be Anya, Gabor, Joanne, and Caroline. Right. So it almost seems like, so shooting doesn't come in until after the first three victims, which I think is interesting. Bullets from Gabor and Caroline both match the same type of weapon. Okay. Near Gabor and Anya's crime scenes, 160 meters away, was an area that seemed to be used by someone as a shooting gallery. So there were bullets there that matched some used in the killings and then bullets from another weapon as well. So we have two different kinds of bullets being shot in this area nearby. That's not that far. No. But we're also near fire trails for all of these killings. So Australian forensic psychiatrist Rod Milton, who has over 20 years of experience, helped develop a profile of the killer. Loved guns but hated women. Loved power, but hated authority. Maybe a hunter, hard worker, loner, came across as friendly and charming, but cannot maintain a relationship. He would probably have a high birth order in his family, so being one of the oldest siblings. Mm -hmm. Or only sibling. So his childhood would be inconsistent, and his adolescence would be riddled with trouble from the law. And he knew the area very well. And this guy, Rod Milton, also believed that there were two killers. One older and more sadistic, and the other one younger. And he said maybe brothers. They would be low income. Part of the theory as to why the killer may have kept so much of the backpacker's belongings was not just for trophies, but for use as well. And I think that ties into the low income and the fact that none of them had turned up. They had not found any of the belongings from the later victims, only the first two, he's surmising that they may be actually using them as practical items. He thought maybe the killer started alone and then the second one joined in. So there were still a lot of personal items missing, we said, right? The backpacks of Deborah, Simone, Gabor, Anya, and Caroline are still missing. We have clothing, tents, sleeping bags, an array of money and personal items. They believe that at least some of the items would be found when they found their killer. He would be a trophy collector. So regardless of what he did potentially with all of their items, they believe that this killer would have trophies. So they worked hard to develop a system in order to control and record data. A net map was created to streamline everything and be combined with all the information from all the different departments. Their suspect list was 230 long after doing their net mapping. They applied link analysis technology or link technology, which is a data analysis technique used to evaluate relationships between nodes. So nodes are connections. So how many nodes are there between these victims basically? So nodes are objects like people, 
transactions, organizations. Basically, it looks at the degree of closeness between all of these things and charts them out. This brought their list from 230 to 32. 32 is manageable. Still a lot. That's still a lot, but that's a really big difference. difference. Yeah. If you send some officers out, you can probably knock out 32 people within a few months. Knock out, yeah. No, for sure. Okay, so November 5th, 1993, the NSW government increased the reward to $500,000. Yep. That's a lot of money. I know. And on November 16, another search was done in the area that James's backpack had been found at Golston Gorge. They also found a shirt, shoes, and a purse. None of the items belonged to the murdered backpackers. Stop taking your clothes off. So that was the end of part one yes. of this crazy tale. And we will be back at you next week with part two. Part two. So thank you so much, you guys, for listening. Thanks for coming. We really appreciate you guys. Thanks mm-hmm. for giving us last week off and being nice about it. You guys are amazing. We hear rumors that we might be back in school soon. Hopefully. So we'll fingers crossed. I know. At least our littles, which... If I can get the littles into school, we will be back in full force because that's the hardest part Mm -hmm. because they need to be monitored. So thanks for coming and like us on Instagram. No. Follow us on Instagram. Like us on Facebook. Share us on your stories. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. And we will see you next week. Guys? What? Guys? And under the guise of needing. Yeah, under the guise of needing to use the bathroom. Like, pretending he needed to use the bathroom, he stopped the car under the guise, like a ruse. Never fucking heard that in my entire life. (laughs) What do you mean? You've never heard the term under the guise? Never. How? What do you mean? how that's ridiculous that's you obviously no. do not listen to me talk how have you never heard that term never. under the guys nope not once i stand by it i've never heard that you just make shit up i, I swear, I to swear God. it's not made up i promise i think that's made up this is what i i'm doing the entire time we've been doing this podcast i've been making up random words and slipping them in and making you read them so that you're basically michael scott using words improperly all over the place I'm kidding. It's not. I'm joking. It's a real word. It's a real word. It's okay. Not a... We're going to have to do another poll. Another poll is coming out. Who has heard the term under the guise? And who has not? Guise is in G-U-I-E-S. It's G-U-I-S-E, which is not what you just said. <laughs> okay. We're going to do a poll. That's fine. Okay. Picking melons, I feel like would not be fun. No, that would that would definitely be less fun. I feel like fruit picking in general wouldn't be fun. But that might be less harsh. fun. Yeah. But like lifting melons off the ground and having to carry melons. Yeah. When I think of okay, the melons no, 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 that they're fine. picking, Come I on. think of like it's fine. a cantaloupe Move on. or like a honeydew. Move on. Move on. Okay. If it was like a watermelon, Shut that would up. suck. Shut up. <laughs> Hopefully okay. they're little melons. Stop.
What kind of melons Shut should they grow up. in Western I Australia? I don't know. <laughs> Nobody cares. Okay. Someone On, cares out there. There were a couple times where <laughs> she was like, I'm not going up that. And I was like, but have to. that's where the tower is. Like we, we hiked up to a lookout tower, a fire lookout tower. And we got to this one point where you're at the, you can see it, you know, way up in the distance. And we got around the corner and it was kind of foggy and you really couldn't see it very good. And I was like, should I point it out or no? And I was like, maybe not. And then she noticed it and she was like, fuck no, I'm not going up that hill. I'm not doing it. And I was like, is this going to be like a Stanley situation where you stab yourself with the dart and you're like, you caught me. You got, you got me, me down. down you, you get, get me, me back, back up. up. So she did make it to the tower. We did run into like some really sketchy, uh, very large animal prints along our path. And then there was like this part in the switchbacks where the grass was like flattened and destroyed from like game paths walking out in that area, like hunting or something. And um, I told Shani in the back, I'm like, make sure you're turning around and just checking every now and then to make sure that nothing's stalking us or following us. And Hannah was like, wait, what? <laughs> She I'm wouldn't. Like, she wouldn't make it. Map and <laughs> she wouldn't make it. I got my phone. I actually showed Auntie Hannah the map on my GPS when we were hiking, and I was trying to explain to her because she was really upset about the uphill. And I was trying to explain to her, "Well, look, though, we're going to be on this ridge line for the next half mile, which is all the same elevation." She's like, "I can't read your fancy map." <laughs> I can read maps, but the, going fast through places I don't know with a map and a compass yeah, at a high right? speed that involves um an- it's another level it's are there any orienters out there I'm assuming that's what you call it I don't know my uh, let us know no I actually when I went hiking yesterday I actually cleared this giant branch out of the road because I didn't want to drive it just looked too big to be driving over it and Shani and Hannah in the car recorded me doing it and they're just like laughing while I'm like dragging this giant branch off the road. I'm like, thanks guys. When I was driving, there was a big stick, probably like, I don't know, a good cup, cup size thickness. Like Madison's really good at measuring. I don't know how to describe <laughs> the thickness of this branch. It was too big for someone to be running over, but it wasn't What's long. What's a cup size though? Like, like think of the, the width of a cup, like any like regular sized cup. Like a drinking cup? Yes. Okay. Okay. It was about that width. Well, we use mason jars for our cups. Those are pretty thick. Is that the width that you're thinking? Or is it smaller? Well, I feel like that's, like, it's all the same. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. Like an arm width. I don't know. How do you want me to describe this little branch that was in the road? But people kept running over it. I would have just it. said there's a big, there was a big-ass branch in the road and well, called I'm, it good. Okay, whatever. <laughs> anyway, there were people, like, someone ran it over and... Like a quad or something, yeah. Or like my car would be an all-terrain vehicle. I could drive that into like a wooded area. Just because you can do it doesn't mean it's an all-terrain vehicle. Because I okay, can it promise probably you. isn't. But I literally have like cracked also, the bottom of my car. Yeah, I didn't tell you this, damage. but the last time I drove your car to the pet store, there was a crap ton of liquid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was I know. dripping. I know. That was like on my side of the car, like I from know, underneath yeah. the car. I'll take someday. I'll take care of that. I don't know. I don't know what I did. Yeah, and you make fun of me for pushing out things with my car. You're like, you need to get that fixed. Your car's been leaking liquid (laughs) for months. Unknown liquid, too. We don't even know what it is. I think it's radiator fluid. That's not good. I have a broken key that I can start my car with. It is broken, but it still works. Did you get that appointment rescheduled? 
No, I just canceled it. Oh my god, reschedule that. Get your car fixed. Gosh. Find out what leaky what's leaking. Fix it, I'll fix my key. <sighs> Fine. Deal. Okay. So the guy asking us about just weird questions. Yep, which made us feel uncomfortable. And this is kind of Are you guys of, camping? Is it just you two? Yeah. Like No. Yeah. Immediately. Nope. 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 Our boyfriends are, they're, um... They're swimming. They're getting firewood. Yep. Yep. <laughs> okay. My non-existent boyfriend's getting firewood. <laughs> I'm he's, using he's real buff. He's real buff. <laughs> the next time one of my coworkers asked me if I'm still single, I'm going to say, no, my boyfriend's getting firewood. And that's it. <laughs> that's all I'm going to answer with. And he's real buff. <laughs> I'm going to add that on there. Okay. Anyway. Where am I? November 5th. You mean November 5th. No, say November 5th. It'll make me very happy. I'm going to say November 5th. Say November 5th. No, I'm really... I don't like I it. I don't like that you say November 5th. I don't like that you say November 5th. It's more normal. Says who? Says the whole world. I don't know that that's true. Why? What day is Christmas on? What do you mean? What December day is... 25. December 25th. <laughs> what are you... Why do you want to be like everyone else? Okay, I didn't say... Follower. Fine. Call follower. me a follower. It bothers me when follower. you say November 5. Okay. Go. Maybe that's why people keep calling us illiterate is because you're saying November 5. I don't think we're being called illiterate because of me. 